Precision medicine, is it hype or help, fact or fiction? Welcome to Precision Insight. This is a podcast series where the most influential thought leaders and innovators in healthcare sit with me to chat about the latest technologies and tools of precision medicine. What do we have available today as patients, caregivers and healthcare providers? Are we seeing a difference in the healthcare system? What is coming up in the near future? If you want to know more about this incredibly fast-moving field of research and development, stay tuned. I'm the host of this podcast, Martin Dawes. I'm the Chief Scientific Officer at Genexis Healthcare Systems, and we're delighted to welcome our guest for today's episode, Dave Wolf. Uh, Dave is the president and founder of Fusion RX and has over 25 years of experience leading the implementation and integration of computerized provider order entry as well as pharmacy computer systems and in-hospital, inpatient, outpatient and long-term care practice sites. Dave is adept at developing and leading healthcare programs that meet the unique and evolving needs of companies in this industry, especially as they face increasingly complex economic and regulatory pressures. So Dave, thank you very much for joining us. I wonder if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into pharmacy and healthcare or IT consulting. Yeah, thank you so much, Martin, for that introduction, and it's a pleasure to be here. As you hear my background, I've got one of the most diverse pharmacist backgrounds you're going to hear. I didn't do the traditional retail or hospital route. I actually started in pharmaceutical manufacturing after graduating from pharmacy school and really like the, the management principles, some of the back in the Edward Deming days, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> of total quality management that really created a foundation for pretty much everything I do going forward. Spent many years in home healthcare and home infusion, kind of the advent of specialty pharmacy. We focused on hemophilia patients and kind of rare chronic diseases and taking care of those high touch patients. Did spend some time as a consultant and VP of sales with a drug wholesaler, and then ran the specialty division that became CVS's first foray into specialty pharmacy called CVS ProCare. Wow. As a VP general manager, then I became a vice president of strategy. But like many ventures, we merged with another division and everyone vice president above was displaced. So there I stood about 15, uh, I guess 18 years ago now, saying, okay, what do I do next? Do I want to continue down this path as an executive in the specialty pharmacy space or, or try something different. And that's actually when I started Fusion RX. Ironically, a, a colleague of mine ran a pharmacy management company and they had a new hospital opening up, which you don't hear about very often anymore. Mm. And they needed to build a pharmacy system. And I chuckled. I said, well, I've had IT report to me, but I've never done it myself. And they said, oh, you could do it, Dave. So I rolled up my sleeves and built that pharmacy system for them. It turned into many different electronic health records that I worked with over the years, Medipac, Siemens, Cerner, a little bit of Epic, McKesson, and it turned into a nice journey. I then ventured into some other areas in IT staffing and acting as the vice president of professional services, you know, placing the right consultants on the right projects. Did some joint venture work with an academic medical center and a data analytics company, took it from concept to our first customers. So it was a great journey. Currently, I continue to do consulting primarily with healthcare providers, health systems rather, focused on CPOE optimization. Mm -hmm. I'm leading a project and automated dispensing cabinets implementation of actually conversion from one vendor to another with a health system right now. And 
over the last couple of years, I've gotten much more involved in pharmacogenomics and you know, how can we put these pieces together as we make great strides in that space? Wow. I mean, that's a pretty amazing journey. And I think what you're reflecting is the increasing complexity of prescribing management, whether it's in a doctor's office or in a pharmacy, but that things have changed so radically over the last 25 to 35 years. And I was interested that you mentioned TQM because I was exposed to that as well. So we're probably of the same generation. <laughs> yes, we, we probably are. So, I mean, one of the things that I'd like to ask you a little bit about is, and you've, you've touched on it slightly with the IT solutions, computerized order entry, and interfacing with multiple EMRs, but the current interoperability, and it's, it's a bit of a buzzword that many key opinion leaders in healthcare talked about. I mean, what does interoperability in healthcare mean to you? And where do you think the industry is in terms of, of progress on interoperability? That's a, that's a great question. As you mentioned, it continues to be the buzzword. I actually, uh, I was looking back through some papers that I've written, and I wrote one in 2005, kind of in response to the Institute of Medicine's report, the electronic health record, and what functionality should this have? So way back then, they were looking at interoperability. You know, there were eight tenets. I did look it up. There are eight core functionalities we need to have. It includes health information and data, uh, results management, order entry, which turned into CPOE, like we referenced earlier, uh, decision support, electronic communication and connectivity. How do we connect with these disparate systems? Patient support, administrative processes, and then reporting in this population health management. All of this includes interoperability. Way back in you know, 2003, 2005, we were talking about that. We're getting there. We've done things like standardize the HL7 transactions so that health systems can speak to one another and applications speak to one another in a standardized nomenclature. On the medication side, we've made some strides in Rx norm. How do we, how do we communicate drug data across platforms? But to be honest, you know, my gut is we keep talking about it, but we're not there yet. It's, it, it's a behemoth effort to do that. And as you think about it, if you go to Hospital A, they may be on one electronic health record, you know, one may be on Cerner, one may be on Epic, and they really don't talk to each other no. at this point. And it's, it's disappointing to me as a health professional, but I understand the complexity that involves. Yeah. I had a recent situation where I had two applications that I'm trying to implement at the same time. We're told we can use the same ADT feed, the admissions discharge and transfer feed, but then we find out the data elements they're looking for are different. So although we standardize some things, we're still requesting different information, which requires additional interoperability. It is frustrating, isn't it, that, you know, in 25 years, some things have been standardized, some lab tests have been standardized, but it is painful that we still are not able to go online anywhere in the world and see the prescribing history for a patient. And you might need to say, okay, well, maybe it should be country specific, but even within a country like Canada or the United States, it's still extremely difficult to get a quick snapshot of, oh yes, this patient was given these drugs 30 days ago, 30 day prescription, it's fine for me to uh, do another prescription. It just seems such a simple thing to do if it's just about the drugs, and yet it seems to be quite a a challenging task. We are getting there though. And do you think that we will see a time when anyone in the United States will be able to do that? And if so, when do you think that's going to happen? 
I think we're getting closer. As I said, we're taking these the necessary steps to standardize how we communicate, you know, through either active protocols or health information protocols so that we standard interface or a standard way of communicating with one another electronically. The question is, how do you get to that portal? And I think that there's a strong rise in, I'll call it the empowered patient or empowered consumer, and they're getting much more involved in their care. Yeah. So I think that the consumer, the patient's going to drive that <laughs> uh, and require that because their dissatisfaction with the current state is starting to come to light. Yeah, I think that we get those stories here as well. In fact, I was in a meeting earlier today where uh, we're talking about patients just expecting us to be able to see this sort of information and being quite shocked when we say we can't see the prescription that was given to them from the hospital. And then they're making the analogy of using their smartphone to look things up. And I think you're right. I think that the patients will drive this. The expectation is there. The technology nearly is there. And I think that hopefully within a few years, we should see that interoperability. Yes. Are there any challenges that you've seen or encountered around the implementation of other types of technology in healthcare? Yeah, and I think I touched on one earlier. We have this prescription surveillance tool that we're implementing that ties in closely with the automated dispensing machines. And the idea was we can use the same feed, the ADT feed from the ADC, the automated dispensing cabinet, Mm -hmm. to meet the needs of the other application, you know, under the same umbrella, same company. And as we start to do the testing, the elements are not the same. So we're going to have to build another ADT. So, so kind of a challenge there is the, the perception is an ADT is an ADT feed. Mm. And that's not the case. And that's kind of a minute example. But the hospital client that I'm working with now, I believe, has, has about 75 different disparate systems and trying to communicate to each of those in a real-time manner is always the challenge. And, and cost is always the issue, whether it's implementation cost or the cost of the software itself, the cost of maintaining it. I see we're moving to more cloud-based uh, platforms, and I think that that'll help improve that cost basis, but still have those interoperability issues. Yeah, wouldn't the return on investment from the reduction in adverse drug events and improved effectiveness cover the costs of some harmonization across the 35 or 37 disparate systems? You and I see that. Um, I think that <laughs> sitting in the CFO office, it's uh, dollars and cents and you know how much they're putting out there. These, the, the numbers are astounding as you look at adverse drug events and you know, actually deaths from uh, poor medication management. Mm. They're some of the soft dollars that we really need to quantify and qualify and get that message out. I mean, I've heard that the hundreds of millions of dollars are, are lost every year in ADRs. Yes. Yes. I mean, we looked at just spending a week away from work across the board. If you had that happening to 20% of your workforce taking a week off, the impact it is absolutely massive. And if you can reduce that by even a day, you're making significant savings as a business. And so maybe it's business that's going to drive this because the big corporations are not going to stand by while hospitals say, well, we don't get the return on investment. Therefore, an extra day off sick is not going to be so important to us in terms of the, the dollar. 
whereas the big em employers do see that as an imperative and possibly might uh, introduce change to the healthcare organizations. And they're quite open to that. I've had conversations with small and large self-insured companies in the United States. And you just talk about pharmacogenomics a little bit. And as you look at your employee population, and it could be a drug as simple as in depression, for example. Yeah. And the trial and error that goes into it, if we could do a pharmacogenomic test that could shorten that timeline to effective therapy, the productivity increases, the, the days lost to work greatly decreases, yep. happy employees, happy customers. Yep. The excitement just goes through the roof as these guys start talking about it. And they're, they're saying, this data is here now. We can use it. <laughs> and, you know, I'm about to negotiate with my insurer and, and I'm going to require that this be part of it because yep. it'll help me not only, you know, we're consumers who want to live healthy lives. It's going to improve the health of my business and my organization as well. It's absolutely true. So we'll have patients driving change, we'll have employers driving change. And I don't think the hospitals are resistant to the change. It's just, and I totally understand that, you know, running a, a large healthcare organization, you are looking at the dollars and cents because you've got an employee staff of your own that uh, needs looking after. None of this is simple to do. And the, a simple solution for a complex problem is, is usually a disaster. Absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of incorporating more data, and you, you touched on the pharmacogenetic information, and of course, that's where we're interested as well, it is more complexity. And it's already quite challenging for physicians when they've got someone with polypharmacy and multiple diseases. What are your thoughts on increasing role of pharmacogenetics and the challenges uh, that are associated with that? The first point I want to make is that I, I think that the time is now to start incorporating these pharmacogenomic clinically. It's got clinical data backing it now that, you know, five or 10 years ago, it wasn't as robust. So we can, through evidence, show that these test results do matter. The key, though, is education of the providers. And I'm going to define providers as physicians and pharmacists and other healthcare professionals who really need to understand what that information means. And we can't look at it in a silo. We can't just look at the pharmacogenomic data. We have to look at the whole patient, hmm. the lab values, the, the comorbidities, the diagnoses. What medications have they tried? Hmm. Um, do a full MTM, medication therapy management workup, where we understand what they've taken in the past, what adverse drug events or side effects that they have from those different medications. It's exciting time that we can use this clinically elegant data today to, to really create a personalized medication plan. Now, some of the challenges are how do you integrate that? Does it become part of the clinical decision support tool or does it become an add-on that's, that's a different application? Hmm. Regardless, you know, I think we need to take those steps to educate the providers and, and the professionals to, to understand what those what this data means, because many don't understand it at this point. Even pharmacists, you know, they don't teach it in school yet. They will be in the next year or two. And the primary care physicians, they've heard about it, but not, they haven't put it into practice yet. It's more, well, that's what the oncologists use. Yeah. But it's the, the relevance for the, the general population is huge to get to that personalized care. Yes, and you mentioned the evidence base and mental health, and we are seeing some large 
insurance providers now starting to offer pharmacogenetic testing, but to a restricted group of patients who have depression, anxiety, and who failed on one medication. But that actually, when you look at it, is a huge number of people. The challenge perhaps is not necessarily, you know, now looking at the evidence, but actually dealing with that volume of pharmacogenetic information. Absolutely. And it's, you know, first of all, uh, it's very exciting to, to hear the insurance companies recognize the importance and the validity of that and, and actually pay for the preemptive testing, where in most cases, if it's paid out of pocket, it's out of plan. Yes. I think we'll see a day very soon. I think that that snowball will start to roll in other relevant disease states. Yes cardiovascular. How many times have we seen patients put on statins and they have the muscle aches? Well, you know what? We could avoid that right up front yes. with a pharmacogenomic test. Yes. I'll speak for myself. I had that. I said, well, if I had this test, I would have avoided three months of misery, you know? So. Yeah. Or taking clopidogrel and it's not actually working for you because you've got a genetic variant. So yeah, Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there are classic examples out there and you touch on the point of how do we actually educate and inform the pharmacists so that they feel confident in using this technology. And I mean, I would like to hear maybe your opinion as well as how do you think organizations, do they have a responsibility to the colleges? Who, who is it who should be doing that education and, and helping the pharmacists have better technology? I think it's the type of work we're doing, Martin. It's almost becoming evangelists for pharmacogenomics. About two years ago, I started really exploring this space. And part of it was my frustration with MTM. And, you know, and it goes back to my father, you know, he gets discharged on 15 different medications. They did a great job with him upon discharge, but then nobody really followed up with him after that. Yeah. Um, and then I started looking at, okay, now we have uh, CPIC guidelines that validate these pharmacogenomic tests. The health professional, the pharmacist should be the ones interpreting this. You know, they understand pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics, how the body works with the drug and how the drug works on the body. There's no better profession to really advocate for this. The, the challenge is they don't get reimbursed for it. Uh -huh. So they, you know, it's like, yeah, well, I've got to get these, I've got to get my, my flu shot quota met for this month. Um, I don't have time to spend an hour with the patient. So some of the studies I'm working on with the pharmacy school that I went to in undergrad is, you know, can we quantify the time pharmacists take uh, to do a good comprehensive medication review, including the pharmacogenetic counseling? And what is that effort? And let's get paid commensurate with the, the effort that went into it. Yeah. Uh, Again, joust, you know, it's kind of pushing a rope a little bit, but I think that it's our responsibility as, as professionals, as well as companies such as Genexus, to really enlighten the, the practice. And I, I know the, the schools are open to it. I did take a certification of pharmacogenomics, and University of Pittsburgh was the, the key sponsor of that. So they've been working on it for about four or five years, but there's only a handful. Yes. And, and you're absolutely right. It's, it is a groundswell, and, and I 
probably do have to put my hands up to being evangelical about this. But I know that you're doing some initiatives working on to enhance patient care. And maybe you'd just like to share a little bit about what you're actually doing. Yeah. And as you look at fusion, I, you know, historically, Fusion RX, I've historically been focused on, you know, pharmacy systems, electronic health records, and, and kind of putting those puzzle pieces together. I said, what tools can the pharmacist use to improve the patient care. My whole goal is to have a personalized medication plan for the individual patient or customer, consumer, whatever the right word is. And we have the tools to do that now. You know, the genesis of the name Fusion RX was fusing all this data together to make pharmacy a better practice. And now we have tools that we can use, and I think we can enhance those tools and integrate them into, you, know, you mentioned earlier, they, they want the app on their phone. Yeah. Um, I think we can get there. I think we're there today. Yeah. What other information does that patient want to see in there? Is there nutrigenomic data? Is there epigenomic data? Mm that they'd like to see integrated into this, this true picture of the patient. So that's where my excitement is. I have started uh, another practice that I'm going to continue under Fusion RX on the, the consulting side and working with patients on reviewing their pharmacogenomic data. And that's individual patients, as well as I am in discussions with some self-insured companies. But what's more exciting to me is how do we take that application and enhance it and get it to the to the level that patient wants to see that's the key isn't it that yeah. I, I mean we we now have apps that can take considerable amounts of data and display them on smartphones in ways we never thought believable it, it just wasn't imaginable 15 years ago and thinking of of weather applications even where you know you, you had to tune in at six o'clock to see the weather now you can see phenomenal stuff. You can see the clouds coming across. You can, it is extraordinary. And I think the time has come for us to be thinking about that for, uh, for healthcare as well. And I think that that's where that poll is going to come from, right? You know, we, we started this discussion around interoperability. Yeah. And the, the large health systems, the large EHRs are going to continue to get to that point where they can speak with one another. Yes. But until that happens, we can move forward. You know, we can have the patient come in with that information. And I think the providers are becoming more welcome to that than they were 15 years ago. That's um, right. I think that, you know, that there probably is one or two lots of weather data, but there are multiple applications that show it in different styles. And I think the same will happen for whether it's pharmacogenetics or whether it's um, more other healthcare data. Absolutely. Again, it's going from patient population health to personalized health. Absolutely, yes. (laughs) It's not going to be easy, but I mean, you're definitely one of the leaders in this and I appreciate you sharing some of your time with us today. It's been a a really great conversation hearing someone who's so enthusiastic about such a complex issue and obviously has produced solutions over your career and and looking forward to uh, seeing more coming from you. So thank you very much for your time, Dave. Thanks for your time as well. Thank you so much, guys.